This morning's scripture is taken from the Old Testament book of Judges, chapter 4, verses 1 through 21. I'm not going to read it ahead of time, but we're going to use it as we go through the text. And I encourage you to take time later also and go back and read this passage. It's a wonderful story, and it's a troubling story. A lot of times people don't really like some of the more violent passages of the Old Testament. So I'm here this morning to say we do not cut out any, bo- any books or pages from the Scripture. We look at them all. We look at what God speaks to us through them. I cannot help but think that sometimes what we've done in the modern church is somehow think, sort of the way Thomas Jefferson did, that we choose what parts of the Scriptures we like. The problem with that thinking is the very passage that we may be uncomfortable with might be the very passage that God needs to speak to us through. Are we hearing that? Because that's an important thing to get around our head. It doesn't mean you have to understand everything or I have to understand everything. We're not going to. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be passages of Scripture that we're going to really say, wow, this is tough to take, and how do I get through this, and how do I understand it? And we may even take it and share it with someone else who will see something different out of it, but we never know what we need or will need in our life. And so it is our intention to look at all of Scripture and always hold all of the sacredness of all of God's Word, which is inspired and has been given to us. We trust that it's God's inerrant Word given to us for the purpose of building us up as Christians so that we can live the life that God wants us to live. And so this morning we're looking at an Old Testament person named Deborah. It was interesting because I was over at Duxbury before coming here and a woman there named Deb or Deborah said to me, so what's the story about this morning about Deborah? I said, she is a ferocious woman. And she said to me, no wonder my father chose that name for me. And that's what we are going to see this morning. Deborah was an Old Testament judge and prophet who didn't back down from the battles of life. You see, we all face battles. Hear me? We all face battles. You hear it again? We all face battles. Amen? We do. Every single one of us has struggles in our life. They may be going on right now. You may be facing something, saying, how am I going to get through this? Or it might be something else coming up. There are tough times. There are battles. There are those things that are so hard for us to face. And that's why the background of this story is so important. Israel had conquered. They were given the land. And things were going well, but the way that Israel kept going is they always seemed to compromise, and now they'd compromised. And because of that little compromise, all of a sudden, things had gone wrong, and rather than them being in control, now they had completely lost control. That's what happens sometimes when we compromise. It doesn't happen every time, but it happens often enough that we make that compromise We don't think it's going to really affect us. And lo and behold, we find ourselves in a situation that we really wish we weren't facing. That's why I love that old story of the Bedouin out in the desert and the camel. In order to understand the story, you need to understand that this camel has to be able to talk. The camel comes to the Bedouin and says, it's a cold night, could I sleep in your tent? And the Bedouin says, there's not going to be room for both of us sleeping in the tent. 
little bit later in the night, the camel comes back to him and says, could I just sleep with the top half of me in the tent? The Bedouin says, you silly camel. The tent is for me. The outdoor beautiful stars are for you. And finally, the camel comes a third time and says, listen, it's cold out here. Maybe if I just put my nose inside the tent, I would be okay. And the Bedouin says, well, what harm can it do to let you put the nose right inside my tent? So the Bedouin goes to bed, falls asleep. The camel is resting nicely with his nose in the tent. And in the morning when he awakes, the Bedouin is outside and the camel's in the tent. (laughs) We compromise just a little. We think it's not going to hurt us. That's what Israel did. They compromised just a little. Maybe this foreign god will be okay. Maybe this enemy really is someone that we need to understand. They probably have a good idea. Let's put, let's put them in charge. And now it was time because they had lost their land to take the land. For us, there comes a time in our life when we realize that there are battles we need to face and it's time to engage the battle. Do I have an amen? I'm everything in our life. It may be a problem in a relationship, it may be struggles at work, it may be something with our children, it may be a financial difficulty we're going through, but we get to that point where we say, I cannot ignore the battle anymore, it's sitting there, I need to engage it. And so what we learn from Deborah in the book of Judges is what we all need to learn, it begins when we finally say, I can trust God. Because the battle doesn't belong to us, the battle belongs to God. The battle is not ours. The battle is not yours. If you're going through struggles in your life or you're seeing somebody in your family that's going through a struggle, rather than feeling like it's us who has to do it, we need to get back and realize that it's God who sits on the throne. In our passage in verse 6, we're told that the king's name was Barak and the prophet or the judge's name was Deborah. And Deborah sent and summoned Barak. And she said these words to him. Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Hear what she said? This is not your battle, king. You're you're taking this far too personally. And that's why Deborah asked the basic question. Didn't God command this? Didn't God command this? The word that's used here is the Hebrew word seba, which means command. It's used all throughout the Old Testament. It's used for Noah. Remember, Noah is minding his own business one day when God gives him a command, build an ark. He doesn't say, I suggest you build an ark. He says, why don't you think about building a beach house down by the Nile? He didn't tell him that either. He commanded him. He said, build an ark. Then we read in the beginning of the book of Exodus There's a guy named Moses who doesn't realize what his destiny is. He doesn't understand that he is an Israelite. He is not an Egyptian. And God comes and commands, the Bible says, him and Aaron to do something about it and to lead the children of Israel out of captivity into the promised land. Again, not a suggestion. It's a command. Again, one last place that you see it is go read the Ten Commandments. They're not ten suggestions. There are ten seba. The word seba, the Hebrew word, is used there. Command. God commands us to do certain things, to live certain ways. You see, sometimes, I am sorry, modern Americans, 
Life isn't all about us just feeling like whatever is whatever. There are things we are asked and told to do. Commands. Do we trust them? How many husbands do we have here? Do you know there's a command for us? Simple. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Fun command, isn't it? It's a command. It's not just if you feel good about your wife, give her chocolates. <laughs> How many children do we have here? We're all children. Come on, that was a trick question. <laughs> children, obey your parents. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Husbands and wives are told to submit, each other, to, submit to each other. It's a command. The Bible also commands us, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a suggestion. It's like, don't live your own life. Let God's love permeate you so that the way you live and the way you treat people is not according to your and my desires because God knows very well, left to our own devices and our own thinking, we're not going to live the way we should live. I tried to think this last week of obedience, and I could think of a lot of times I haven't been obedient, but I went back to a time where it was so clear, and I think it starts to get to us of how we understand God commands us in our life. I met this pretty young girl. Her name was Regina. (laughs) And God started to put a desire in my heart and on her heart to get married. And we started talking about a call, a command that God had in our life to leave the safety and the security of the Midwest to move to New England. Now, dads don't do what my father did. It's not a good idea, but it did work in this case. As I was considering, was God wanting us to get married, my dad met Regina for the first time. First time walks in the room. I said, Dad, I'd like you to meet my girlfriend, Regina. He says, here, come over here and give a hug to your future (laughs) father-in-law. That was a bit of a confirmation in my life that God was commanding me to do something. Then we prayed and we sought God's guidance and leadership. And we realized that God was asking us to come to New England. So we got married the day after we graduated from college and set out to New England with nothing. A couple hundred bucks. I've told the story before. We had nothing. But here's what happens when God makes things clear in our life and God commands. All of a sudden, doubt starts coming in and all of a sudden, resistance starts happening. For during that time, in the little town of Winemere, North Dakota, population 492, I know that because I lived there, There was another young woman from our town who moved to Boston the year before we came out. And she was broken into and robbed, and she moved back home. And everybody that we talked to that knew us said, how can you do that? That's a dangerous place. You see, there's a little resistance that starts coming. And in terms of our getting married and our moving, we had some other family members who started a lot of opposition. And then to top it all off, we knew that we should get married. 
We believe God was commanding us to come to New England. And the pastor of the church that I served under in Indiana looked at us and said, why in the world would you go from Indiana to Massachusetts or New England to serve in a church? He said, I went from New England to, New to the Midwest because it's much easier to do ministry out here. Think there's a little resistance that's going on here? But God commanded us, and we believed we needed to trust God. And once we trust God, things started to work out. We got an apartment. It just was the exact amount of money that we had. We felt lonely, and it was difficult being out here, and God gave us a church the very first year to me to be the pastor of. And eventually, we were living out here all alone until my sister the next year moved out, and then my nephew moved out. Now we have a lot of family here in New England. And all of a sudden, we started realizing that trusting God was the answer because God had asked us, had told us to do something, and we were obedient. Are you obedient in your life to the battles or the struggles or the difficult choices that God's giving you to do? Because the next thing that Deborah does not only says, hey, king, you need to trust God, she gives him a clue of how we can get through the tough times. And she said to him, not only do you trust God, you need to gather the troops. You see, you and I are not supposed to go through this life alone. Who are your troops? Who are the people you can count on when life gets difficult? Who are the people who will pray for you and visit you and encourage you and give you the telephone call when you're having a tough day. In our text, again, in verse 6, she doesn't just say, hasn't God commanded you of this? But then she says, go, gather the men at Mount Tabor, taking with you 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. The command was not to go it alone, but rather to gather the 10,000 troops. In fact, Barak could not win the battle alone. He could never have faced the enemy all by himself because the scripture, go back and read it, says that the enemy was General Sisera. He had 900 chariots. It was a monster he was going to face. 900 chariots. That meant that the enemy was better prepared, better equipped, had more money, had more training, and the king had to face the battle. And Deborah said, don't face it alone. You and I face battles in our life. They seem overwhelming. Are they overwhelming because we're not trusting God? Or are they overwhelming because we're not gathering the troops? When you face something in your life, are you calling on people to pray with you? Do you have that place where you can gather and connect with? For you and I cannot win if we face our battles alone. Barak could not do it, neither can we. You and I cannot win if we face our battles alone. For who are your troops? Who are your troops? What spiritual army can you call on when you need support? If we don't have a spiritual army around us, we're kind of in a tough place here because we go into life and we look out and we go, oh my goodness, there's 900 chariots that I'm facing. How am I ever going to do that? Once we ask that question, we've lost. We aren't going to do that. God's going to do it. God's in charge. God wins the battle. And God gives us the troops and the friends and the connections to be with. So whatever comes our way, we do not need to face it alone. I attend a Bible study here every Friday morning at 6 o'clock. This past Friday, we met again. 
we begin with a little check-in. How's it going for each guy? What's going on in your life? And we encourage each other to text and call each other and talk to each other and pray for each other and support each other. So that as we gather together on a Friday morning, for me, it's a wonderful time because kind of my week is all over and now I'm getting ready to go into the weekend where it's going to be time to stand before a couple congregations and share God's word. And it's nice to know that I don't go it alone, but there's other people who are praying for me. Who are your troops? Who's doing that for you? That's why at Faith Community Church, we try to get people involved with a faith group where we can come together and support each other and build the camaraderie so that we are not facing life struggles alone. Because the next thing that we learn in our text from Deborah and Barak as they're told to take the land and engage the battle is doubt arises. Just as soon as you and I become convinced that God is sending us in a direction, that we know what we're supposed to do, we get it. We start to doubt. How many of you have ever doubted? Come on. Verse 8. The king. King. Remember, this is the king. This is the powerful guy. Says to Deborah, and this is a patriarchal time in which men supposedly are calling all the shots. We always complain about the ancient world and how it's a patriarchal society, but we fail to look in the scripture at the amazing, powerful women who trusted God, who got these men through. They're all through the scripture. They're all over the place. Who are the first people who witnessed the resurrection? Oh, that would be women. Who are the first people who testified to the resurrection? Oh, that would be women. Not quite the patriarchal book that we all are told that it is to dismiss. In fact, it's much the opposite. And so now in verse 8, we're told that Brock turns to Deborah and says to her, if you'll go with me, I'll go. But if you won't, I'm not going to go either. You think a little doubt got in the king's mind? Letting into doubt stops more successes than failed efforts ever will. Do you hear me? Letting into doubt stops more successes than failed efforts ever will. I never have people come to me and say, you know, Pastor Stan, I failed miserably on this, but I've heard over the years many people who say, man, I wish I would have taken this opportunity and I didn't take it. Notice that King Barak immediately doubted. Because of his doubt, Deborah went with him, which again was rather unusual. But doubt is natural. It's part of our life. It's part of what we go through. Doubt is not the absence of faith. Doubt is the reality of what happens when you and I trust God. The enemy starts saying, you've got to be kidding. How dare you be so bold as to think you can do this? I have a little cartoon I'd like to put up. Learn from peanuts. Snoopy's laying on the top of his doghouse. He wakes up abruptly from his sleep. There I was, resting comfortably. Suddenly, I was plagued by a self-doubt. Isn't that how we live our life? Plagued by a self-doubt. Doubt is natural. Doubt does not mean that God has not gifted us or God is not leading us. It means we need to push through the doubt. Leonardo da Vinci, last time I checked, was a pretty good painter, you think? 
He gave us the Last Supper and the Mona Lisa. I'd say those are pretty good credentials. I was thinking about it this week, getting ready for my message. I bet he could even teach an art class in Plymouth. Why, I bet if da Vinci was here and he showed off his work, they might even hire him at the Museum of Fine Arts up in Boston. So isn't it interesting that recently the New Yorker published parts of his journal, his own personal thoughts, and he said these words, I don't know if I ever accomplished even one thing. Leonardo da Vinci doubted. No matter how great of an artist he was, no matter the fact that he gave us two of the world's masterpieces, he doubted. The point is, doubt is natural, but it doesn't need to stop us. When you and I are facing something in our life, when we are going forward and we let the enemy fill our minds with doubt and we stop, we're letting into the enemy, we're not trusting God because God is calling us from victory to go forward, to listen, to engage the battle, to realize he's with us. Amen, folks. Amen. And far too often, it is that doubt that paralyzes us. And that's why the next thing we see is that we need to engage the fight. The same as Barak, the same as Deborah, the same as the troops of Israel. No matter what the doubt was, no matter the fact that they saw 900 chariots, no matter the fact that the king was sitting there saying, I don't think we can do this. Who did the battle belong to? God. Who did the battle belong to? Verse 14. And Deborah said to Barak, Up! For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. The Hebrew word is quafavim. It means rise up. It's used 627 times in the Old Testament. 627 times people are told, get up, get up. Makes me think of going to a track meet. If you watch the sprinters, there's three commands they're given. On your mark. That means get down. The next one is quafavim. Get up. Get set. Get ready to engage the battle, and then the last command is go. Think of what we tell our kids. Get up. Get up. What are you doing? Get up. Go to school. Get up. Go get a job. Get up. Go mow the yard. Get up. Go do something. Just don't lie here. That's what we're told to do. Engage the battle. My summertime reading is probably not the most spiritual, but don't tell my congregation that. I'm reading a biography of Led Zeppelin. Did you know that when Led Zeppelin first became a band, they weren't very popular? Did you know that when Jimmy Page was putting together the band and John Bottom was going to become the drummer, they were filled with all kinds of doubt because they said, this guy can't be a good drummer because somebody else would have picked him up. See what happens? If he was any good, he wouldn't be available for us. And then when they hired Robert Plant, everybody made fun of Robert Plant, and they made fun of his voice, and they said, that guy can never be a rock singer. Excuse me? He's the greatest singer in the history of rock and roll, in my opinion. <laughs> Which, since I'm preaching the sermon, is the only opinion at this moment that matters. And the rest of you can argue with me about John Lennon later. Then... When Led Zeppelin started, they got up. They realized they needed to do something, so they came to America, and they were a hit. People thronged to their concerts. They went out to California, and they filled stadiums. The only problem was they were from England. 
And because of that, they had to spend less than 50% of their time in America because they were not allowed by law to make more money than on 50% of the day. So now they went back to England, and nobody wanted to hear them. So now you're Led Zeppelin. You got Robert Plant and Jimmy Page, and you're like, you're rock gods. I'm sorry. That's what they were at that point in America. And what do you think they did when they went back to England? Did they feel sorry for themselves? No, they got up, and they went out and they performed. Sometimes 40, 50 people came to their shows. Sometimes a few hundred. They went from college campus to college campus because they knew that they had something that they wanted to do that it wasn't God-inspired in this case, but it is still the same principle. They got up and they engaged their fight until eventually things worked out and Led Zeppelin is the product of all of that. Folks, what makes us think because we get a little bit of resistance, we can lay in bed and not get going. God wants us to trust him, to gather the troops, to push through the doubt, to engage the fight, and then my favorite part of the story with Deborah is to follow through to the end. Because far too many times in our life, we do well, and then we stop. And then we freeze. If I've learned anything of working with people who go through struggles, is this is probably where we get messed up more than anything else. And so our text ends with something that makes us cringe. The battle's taken place. Barack has won. Deborah was right. But there's only one little problem. The general of the enemy troops, Sisera, escapes. And at that point, I guess it doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, what's a general going to do? Just gather troops and come back and attack and take over? That's about all he's going to do. And Barak doesn't know what to do about it. So verse 21, we're told the jail, again, another woman. Women should like this text, even though it's bloody, they should like this text because I'm telling you, the women come out pretty strong in this passage. Jail, the wife of Heber, took a, ta- a tent peg and a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly into the general of the opposing army, Sisera, and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness, and so he died. Now, we may cringe, but there's an amazing spiritual point there. Follow through to the end. Follow through to the end. When you're going to school, go to the end. When you're putting out your resumes for a job, and you think, maybe I don't need to send out one more, send out one more. When you're in recovery, and you get up in the morning, and you think, eh, I don't think I'm going to go to a meeting today, go to the meeting today. When you're doing anything in your life that God has commanded you to do, follow the battle to the end. Because when we don't follow it to the end, we are amazed at how bad things get for us, and we're right back to where things were before, only worse. Check it out, New Testament. Book of Hebrews tells us, when we don't follow through the end, our end state is worse than our beginning. Don't miss the power of this verse. General Sisera escaped Barah, and now Jael, the wife of Haber, finished the job. It got me thinking about wildfires. Because, you know, wildfires are a pretty tough thing that happens in our country. And we see all these wildfires out west, And so I thought, I bet some of them actually happen 
because somebody didn't put out a fire. It just was logic, right? So I thought, I bet a bunch of wildfires, maybe it's because somebody has a cigarette butt, and instead of extinguishing the cigarette butt, they threw it out. Because see, follow through the end is you completely, first of all, you quit smoking, but that's another story. You extinguish that cigarette completely. Or other people are at a campsite, and I thought there must be some campfires that start because somebody just went to bed and they were too lazy to put out the fire. Or how about grills? That's another one I thought about. Well, maybe somebody has a grill and they're, they're barbecuing in their backyard and they want to go to bed. We've all done it. You want to go to bed and those charcoals aren't going to hurt anything. So I did a little research of my own. And I thought somebody must have studied this. What percentage of wildfires in America, those awful fires that we see, are caused because somebody doesn't follow through to the end? It's a basic question. 15%. That'd be pretty bad, wouldn't it? But it's higher than that. How about 25%? If one out of four wildfires were caused because of the fact that people didn't follow through to the end, I think we could probably encourage people to follow through to the end. Maybe it's 50% or 75%. 90%. of fires that are those tragic fires that we see out west are caused because people don't extinguish the fire that they already had. They don't follow through to the end. There's a spiritual principle for every one of us in it. When God calls us to do something, follow through to the end. Don't think that going halfway avails us anything. A way I like to put it is half measures avail us nothing. The story of Deborah is an amazing story. Because King Barak is told to take the land, muster the troops. And he can't do it because he's filled with doubt. And Deborah gives us a principle of how to live our lives. Trust God. When you face a battle in your life, realize it's not your battle, it's God's. Gather the troops, but first make sure you've got troops to gather. Make sure you're building those Christian relationships so you have people you can count on. You're going to doubt. We all doubt. Push through the doubt. Just keep going. Engage the fight. Don't be afraid of it because that happens to us far too often. We start getting fearful and we think, I can't do this. And you're right, I can't do it. But God can do anything. And then remember to follow through to the end. We look at our Old Testament passages. Sometimes they make us cringe because they seem a little harsh for our ears. But maybe that's a good thing. Because life can be tough, folks. Life can be tough for every single one of us. We face things that are difficult and are hard in our life. And the point of the scriptures is God understands and God is with us and God will win the battle. At this time, I'd like Alona to come forward and end our service as we do with a time of prayer. And I remind you, if you're facing a battle in your life, there's anything that you're going through, do you want somebody to pray for you? Maybe you don't have troops to battle with. Maybe you're alone and you go, you know what, I need to reach out and start making friends and, and getting connected deeper because when I face stuff, I feel like I face it all. Come forward for prayer. Just be honest about it. Nobody's here to judge anyone at Faith Community Church. We're here to love and accept every single person wherever we are in our life. And we all face those struggles 
Every single one of us has moments when we doubt. Every single one of us has times when we're overwhelmed with the things that are in front of us. When it feels like that scared little kid and his fiance coming out to Massachusetts going, how in the world are we going to do it? And I think we're going to be in our car going back home and admitting to everybody that we were defeated. But man, am I glad that Regina and I trusted and kept moving forward. Sometimes it's stuff with our kids. We face something with our children and we don't know how to, what to do. We had that recently with something. We talked to somebody else and we said, what do we do? And they said, nothing. I go, that's bad advice. It was good advice. Sometimes what, the way we engage the battle is by doing nothing, but doing nothing means we pray. We pray and we call on somebody else to pray with us. Wherever you are in your life, whatever's going on, if you need somebody to pray with you, we invite you to come forward for prayer. If it's too hard to come forward and you still want somebody to pray with you, we have a prayer room right down the hall on the way to the left. Stop in there and ask somebody just to listen to what you're going through. The battle belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you. And if you carry that burden through your life and you think that you need to fight the battle alone and somebody says to you, how goes the fight? I don't have a fight. I don't have a battle. The battle belongs to God. And once we get that understood and once we live the way Deborah lived, it is amazing what God can do in and through us. I think I said it. Beautifully.